Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stemmen Podcast. Hope you are having a fabulous weekend. Uh, it's getting, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas outside. So, uh, Micah, how are you doing today? Good, man. Uh, I cannot believe that we're, you know, a week away from Christmas as we record this and, you know, gearing towards the new year and new beginnings and 2023 was rough on me. So um, I'm ready for a new year and some exciting new things to to come in the new year. Graduating from from grad school and uh, looking for a new job and some other things that are just, you know. A new job? You're not working at Miami anymore? No, I mean, I will. I'm going to continue oh. to work at Miami. Oh, okay. but like, I was like, wait a minute. That's news to me. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I will continue to work at Miami. Um, what I'm saying, though, is that like once I get my master's, in education oh, and leadership, okay. I'll be able to move up within the university. So oh, I'll be, so the job hunt will be on, I guess. I'm going to, I still have a job. I still work the same place, but it's, you know, in an effort to make more money and move up within the institution, I'm going to, you know, finish my degree and, and do that. So awesome. Wonderful. What yes. about you? Are you oh. ready for, are you ready for the new year or the Christmas season or are you done or? Uh, you know, it's, it's been very, it's been, it's been a very interesting uh, couple weeks because, you know, we get into Advent season. We actually, um, within the church we've been dealing, I mean, ever since I've came on, there's just been a lot of transition happening at the church. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a lady who was the outreach, like the outreach coordinator who dealt with like community relations and everything else. She's working here for seven years, got her, got her doctorate in psychology. So she's kind of been working here part-time working at a university part-time and she decided to kind of do full-time at the university. So she um, is leaving, which is good, but she, but then for her, she's like, okay, well now she can just be a member of the church. So she's kind of doesn't have to be like, Oh, I'm coming to church, but then I'm also an employee. Like she can just simply be a member now. So so that's good. I think that's kind of hard too because there's some people who keep asking her to do stuff or or oversee things. It's just like, nope, nope, nope. That's not my job anymore. Um, so you know, we're looking at that, and then we have one guy who got a new job, um, who works in the school district out in Olentangy, and his new job has just been more demanding since he's doing a lot more late hours and doing a lot more like, especially in the winter time, he's going to be like making sure that the you know, things are plowed for any type of weekend games and anything else. So a lot of times he gets to church late and he has to like set up everything for a nine o'clock service. So he's kind of taking a step back so that we just are hiring someone new in that position, but he doesn't leave until the end of the year. So it's just been, so it's just been a lot. And then not only that, um, the drummer for our contemporary service had, um, had surgery and it's just been a long healing process. So I've been filling in on drums, which playing drums, I can do it, but it's not like I'm not an expert at it. Um, so I have literally been playing drums for over a month now at church. And then even talking with the worship leader, he says, hey, I reached out to the guy. Haven't heard anything back from him for like two weeks. And he said, you know, it's getting to the point where I was looking at the obituary section, seeing if he passed away because I haven't heard from him. Um so I'm going to start looking for a new drummer. So I said, oh, so will you have one by the time we do our Christmas Eve service? Or are you expecting me to play for Christmas Eve service? He goes, yeah, I might need you for Christmas Eve. I'm like, okay, because usually that was the service that I had off. 
uh, out of the four services I'll be doing Sunday, that was the one I was going to usually had off, or at least I had off last year. Now it looks like I will be at, at that one too, playing drums. And yeah, so, I'm, so I mean, it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm glad I can help out. I'm glad I can fill that role, but it's also one where I always, I'm always filled with dread every time when I get behind that electric drum set, because I hate, I hate electric drum sets. <laughs> Absolutely hate them. No, and especially when they start falling apart while you're playing and you're like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> so what you're saying is you want me to leave Miami and come to Bexley. Uh, do you want to play on an electric drum set? No, I'm just saying like all the extra stuff that you're having to, to, to fill, like you could just like have me do it. I could, <laughs> I could have you do it, but that's not my call. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I know, be... <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to take some of your burden off of you, my friend. Oh no, it's, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's a good burden. It's a good, it's not, it's not bad at all, but then, you know, it's fun. It's nice. Cause like, I think my kids have been invited to like more birthday parties this year than they have from all the other years that they've, especially when we were in Virginia to the point where, and this is going to go with my story's gone wild that, you know, Laura and I were having an argument the day before because she needed to get all her stuff done. She had to get all these papers graded so she can get report cards in. So she's filling in for somebody who's on maternity leave. Sure. Um, and then we went and, you know, we cleaned the house Saturday and she's like, okay, well we have to clean some house, but if I go take Peter and Lizzie to this party out in Polaris. By the time I get back, we're going to have to go because, you know, you're going to have youth over at the house for your Christmas party. And when am I ever going to get any of my work done? So, you know, we're kind of going back and forth. I'm like, well, that's not my problem. You know, we're like, I'm, we're getting into an argument. So finally she goes, well, what if you took, what if you took Peter to the party? Now the party's at 1230. The last service goes from 11 to 12, and that's if the pastor doesn't go over or whatnot. And then all the parents have to come upstairs and pick up their kids. So by the time everybody came was gone and everyone's picked up, it was 12.15. So we have 15 minutes to get to this party, and it's about a 20-minute drive to get there. So we're already – so I know we're going to be late. So I get home. I go, okay, kids, let's go. Don't even change. Like, kids, let's get in the car. Lizzie, Peter, get in the car. They have all their stuff. I start to back out of my driveway and right behind me. And again, this is a residential neighborhood pulls this big, huge semi. And not only that, but it's blocking all lanes. And this is a road that you can park on both sides of the road. So sometimes just driving down there in a regular car is nerve wracking enough. And now you have a semi and now it's just sitting there and it's blocking my driveway. And I'm like, I need to get out of here. Like I'm getting so mad. So I'm like trying to be polite because I'm right next to the church. But at the same time, I'm like you need to move because I need to get my kid to a party. So finally it backed up or did something. And I was able to get out, shoot down an alleyway because I couldn't go out the road because it was blocking the entire road to Broad Street. So then I shot through an alleyway and then got back on Broad Street to go hit the interstate to get to Polaris. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know why that semi-truck was there or what it was trying to do. And it didn't say. And then eventually when I came back home, it was still there. But this time I saw like, oh, it's a moving truck. But who but who orders a moving truck to go through a little tiny road? Like that doesn't, it's like, it's stuff like that that blows my mind. And not only that, but then 
the house was like a couple houses down. So they had to like move the stuff from this house and move it a couple, like five houses down just to get it on the moving truck. I'm thinking this was not good planning. And it wasn't like they filled this entire semi-truck up. It was just a couple items. And then the semi-truck left them. Like who just hires a semi-truck to carry even like, like six items. Like the thing wasn't even full. And I'm thinking what in the world crazy street neighborhood do I live in? So yeah, that's my story. It's going wild. <laughs> so when I graduated high school, we were um, transitioning out of one ministry. My dad was, and we lived in a small, small, small village uh, in Northeast Ohio called Amsterdam, which was about 30 minutes outside of Steubenville. Mm-hmm. And um, Amsterdam is super small and it has, you know, I don't know, maybe 3,000 people in it total. And so, like, um, where the parsonage was, where we lived, was up on a hill. And so, like, we hired a moving company because my dad was... It was very... It was a very tight squeeze, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. I I can't even begin to to describe this, but, like, had to go around one sharp turn to another to get to the front of our house. And it was a semi-truck. It was a moving company, right, that we hired. And then they had to go around the block and then go down this huge hill. And I'm like, there's no way they're going to get up here and there's no way they're going to get out. So, yeah, I kind of know what you mean as far as semi-trucks and residential areas. But um, (laughs) I have no idea, like, why people think. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, you got any other stories to share with us, Micah? Oh, speaking of stories gone wild, um, <laughs> in reference in reference to our topic today, which we're going to be talking about, I guess, transitions uh, in a different light, mainly like if there is a pastor who has a scandal, has an affair, has some sort of um, moral failing, moral failure, falling out from the church, mm-hmm. and if they should like serve or to continue to serve post their, their mishap. Um I remember being a kid and my dad was, um, he, he had, it was, this is in the state of Ohio, but he had something to do with like the Southwest, not Southwest, I'm sorry, Southeast where we were at the time, uh, credentials committee. He was on the Southwest Ohio or I said Southwest Southeast Ohio credentials committee. And there was a church and I don't know, Scott, if you're familiar with it enough, but like, uh, church God used to call like churches that were close to them, their sister churches, like, and by close, I mean, close in location proximity, like, you know, Scott Stedman church of God and like a current church of God. That's our sister congregation. And, you know, we're 20 minutes down the road. So anyway, there was this church that was considered our sister congregation. It was 30, you know, 40 minutes away from us. And this pastor had uh, been caught in scandal. And my dad was a part of the group of credentials members that took his credentials away. The man had an affair with his secretary. Okay. He got caught at the church on the organ. What? Huh? In the act. Ah! No! Yes. Caught in the church on the organ 
at the church he was pastoring with his secretary, which, by the way, was his wife, his wife's cousin. It gets even worse. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So Church of God strips the guy of his credentials. Okay. But in reference to what we're talking about today, he accepted the fact that his credentials were gone. He went and started another church. And a lot of the people at that church went with him. Yeah. So it was like another church. It was non-denominational. There's that word again, denomination. Um, non-denominational church. He was the pastor. He didn't have credentials through the Church of God anymore, but yet he was the pastor of this church. So kind of segueing into our topic for the day, what, what are your, your initial thoughts on that? And or just like, should people serve beyond their failures? Yeah. So this is, so this is very fascinating about the whole idea of serving because, um, you know, I was reading something about, um, actually this comes from the national association of evangelicals. So, you know, this is the source, but they talk about that, you know, among all evangelical Christian leaders, including denominational heads agree that a pastor guilty of any kind of moral failing can be restored to a pastoral position According to the May Evangelical Leadership Survey, only 5% said that certain ones would disqualify one from ever holding a pastoral position. So, you know, and this is, again, National Association Evangelicals. This is on their website. Um, But, you know, for me, it's been very, it's interesting because, you know, your story kind of hits on a couple of things, personal things to me. Um, you know, my grandfather served as a minister as a, in the Nazarene tr- Church, Church of the Nazarene, um, and uh, got my parents blew the whistle on him because not only did they find out that, hey, he was embezzling money from the church, mm-hmm. but then he was also having an affair with the woman in the church. And my mom actually caught him in the act because she was driving by this town, by this like, you know, it's like one of those like, questionable motels that was in town that's kind of on the outskirt of the city that you don't think is in the city but it is and as she was driving by she noticed his car was there and she's like why is my dad's car here so she like goes and of course it's one of the things where cars like parked right where the room is so she like went and knocked on the door and there she's opened and you know the person he was having the affair with opened up the door like in like a nighty, and there he was like in bed and it's like oh so um, but after they, uh, blew the whistle on them, they, not that, they... not that I'm defending this at all. <laughs> why would you answer the door? I don't know, but sounds like they... a bad, bad, like uh fiction book. It is. It is. <laughs> Wait, but... Answer the door. Like, who is it? Well, maybe they thought it was like the manager. I don't maybe. know. But yeah, who knows? <laughs> maybe someone's bad. You're being too loud in there. Boom, boom, boom. So, but, hey, hey, it's your grandfather. <laughs> oh gosh, I know, I know. Well, so anyway, they the church gets rid of him. You know, he's gone, and he loses his credentialing through the Nazarene Church. Mm-hmm. The church turned on my family because he was a very charismatic guy, was very lovable, and they're just like, oh. And there's some other reasons why he why they he left too. Uh, 
that were kind of not made known to the public at that point. But it was stuff like that where it was like, you know, that's what caused my parents to leave the church for so long before we started going back. And then we started going to a church, God church with crazy enough. I don't know if I ever shared this story. My dad starts going back. He does like the whole randomly open up a phone book and point the finger at somewhere and found the Talmadge First Church of God. He's attending there and, you know, he's attending there. Finally, he meets with Pastor John Phillips, starts having a conversation, starts telling his story. And as he's telling his story, he starts talking about my grandfather and John Phillips kind of goes pale because my grandfather was riding on the coattails of Ron Fowler Sr. at the Arlington First Church of God. He was trying to get he was trying to get credentialed within the Church of God Anderson. So when my dad found out about that, they had a meeting and they confronted my grandfather, both him and my mom. And they sat there and eventually my grandfather, there was enough evidence and even just at my grandfather's behavior that showed that he wasn't repentive or restored from what happened at the Nazarene church and some stuff that he was dishonest about that, um, that they kind of decided not to credential him to be ordained in the church of God. So that's a crazy coincidence, God thing, whatever you want to call it. But man, like that was insane. So when I think about somebody, a pastor who has had some type of whatever the situation may be where they may be kicked out of the church or they can no longer pastor anymore for whatever the reasons, you know, I'm on I'm kind of mixed, you know, in some cases, I think, yeah, they can be restored. They can serve. Um, but then there's sometimes where I'm like, well, but should they, you know, right. and I think it's, a, and I think it depends. And um, looking again at this website from the National um, Association of Evangelicals, they kind of say like, you know, each denomination has their own way. But uh, one of the things that they kind of list, like some basic requirements uh, for restoration um, is the immediately breaking of any type of adulterous relationship if they were to have an affair. Um, genuine repentance, and I think that one I'm going to have to throw a lot of question and exclamation marks with genuine repentance because that's always going to be tricky to figure that out. Um, cessation of pastoral ministry for at least one year, so you can't serve in a church for at least a year. Um, completion of a restoration process under denominational direction, Leaders gave varied responses regarding the time required for this process, ranging from at least one year to at least three years. So about between one and three years going basically through a whole entire restoration process. Um, submission and accountability to a council of overseers, restorative council, including any type of renewal or repair or family repair, um, supervised preaching, meaning that someone's there listening to you preach, make sure you're not saying anything too crazy. Uh, recommendations from others regarding the person's fitness to return to ministry. So, you know, hey, do you feel like this pastor has, you've known this person, do you think that they could serve in ministry again? You know, um, restoration to a different church community or position, restoration to a position other than the senior pastorate, or I guess whatever one you got out from. So if you were in a youth pastor position and you've been restored, Removed from that, like you could probably serve, but maybe not in a youth capacity. Um, a church's desire to receive the restored pastor and a commitment to ongoing systematic accountability. So those are kind of just the 
broad strokes, which doesn't seem broad. It seems very specific, but just, you know, denominations have their different way of doing things, but they're saying out of all the denominations they've seen, here's kind of, here's kind of a good chunk of what it takes for a restoration to happen for a minister to serve back in a church. So what were your thoughts on that list, Micah? I mean, so a number of things like the, I struggle with it too. And like, I think that like, I think there's a difference between like struggling with, you know, being a pastor on staff and always, you know, kind of looking over your shoulder and being leery of things like paranoia in a sense, like, am I going to get caught or is somebody going to accuse me of this? Cause like, all it takes is an accusation too, right? Like you could totally get, you know, finger pointed at you and it could just be taken the wrong way out of context, whether it's, you know, sexual misconduct or harassment or, you know, things like that. And then like, I also look at it through a lens of like, I've seen enough of that stuff in my lifetime where it's like, I'm so afraid, you know, to do something wrong that I'm not going to do something wrong. And like, my wife always reminds me, she's like, because She's like, I know your heart and I know some of the things you've been through and seen. So I know that you're not going to, you know, put yourself in that position because of that. So, um, I guess it's really just this whole idea of like what, it depends on the church, it depends on the circumstances, and it depends on, I guess, the severity of it. And like, but at the same time, you could also say like sin is sin is sin and you know whether it's a drug problem an alcohol problem uh you know an affair an embezzlement you know um there was a period of time where i served at a church where um we had a lot of staff turnover and um we had an executive pastor step down and go through a reconciliation process because he and his wife were separated and, and going through a divorce. There was no affair. They they just they just drifted apart, right? So like he stepped down from his role. That same church, we had um a senior adult pastor who was who was cheating on his wife. So he left. Um we had another pastor on staff who was like the the pastor of like maintenance and did all the stuff of you know with the building and things like that was embezzling money. He embezzled $40,000. Like there was this really rough season of like where I'm an intern, I'm in seminary. I'm seeing all the things they don't really talk about or teach you in seminary firsthand. Right. And so like all these people are leaving their ministry roles. They're stepping down from their positions. The church is asking them to leave. Um, And it was kind of a very strict policy of like, okay, we're not, we're not messing around here. And it's, you know, you, you have a a mishap or you have a failure, a moral, a moral failure, and you're done, right? Your credentials are gone. You're no longer serving in the ministry role here. Um, And I think too, like I've seen some churches where if you go through a reconciliation process, you're asked to leave for a period of time before you come back, if you want to come back. But in most cases, people that go through that failure stuff, like they're not going to come back to that church. You're never going to see them again. Yeah. Um, it, or if you yeah. see them in public, it's super awkward and you, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's see, and that's the thing I think I struggle with the most with because like like you said, you gave the example that oh, someone's left kind of took a leave of absence because they were going through a divorce, no affair, nothing happened, just relationship failed. And I think especially like with that, I know some churches where oh, if the pastor went through a divorce, and even if it was, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, it basically was the other party spouse saying they want to end the relationship. Pastor's trying to make it work, but their spouse is like, nope, absolutely not, and just kind of leaves and like does it. Um, then it's like, oh, well, you're not fit to pastor us anymore because you're divorced now. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like that's I think sometimes I think that can get well, that can get egregious. muddy. That can get very muddy. Um, depend because we don't really know the situation, especially something like that where it's very private, a private situation between a husband and a wife that are on a strained relationship. It, it now it becomes well, now it has to become the church's business, and it's now everybody's business, and that's kind of where things get a little tricky. But when you think about things like embezzlement, affairs, or even just toxic leadership, like that bullying too. leadership, like like you know, and I think about you know that was kind of the thing like with um, Bill Hybels. You know, even though a lot of his stuff was just the abuse of women and and kind of having these affairs, but then also he was very abusive when it came to his leadership behind closed doors with his staff. Same thing with like a Mark Driscoll. Um, when that sort of thing happens, you almost have to say like, okay, well, it's not a moral failing as we see it. It's not like that a drug problem, an alcohol problem, a sex or gambling problem. They're just being... You know, some people may say, well, you know, if you have a big church, you have to kind of be a little bit tough with your leadership. But it's like, yeah, but it's also a Christian institution and we don't need to be treating people like garbage. You, you know what I mean? Like, so I think when it comes to that sort of restoration process, I always go back to genuine repentance, right? Because how do we know that the repentance is genuine? Because like, for an example, and I'll just use, I'll just throw myself an example. So let's say my big thing is toxic leadership. Like, let's just say for an example, I just am very, I'm a bully. I push people around. I have a huge staff turnover and I'm just very not nice person. Eventually just got to the point where I just not only immediately say I'm out of here and I just walk away unexpectedly, but then the church closes right behind at the door because everything was hinged based on my leadership personnel, basically kind of like a Mark Driscoll over at Mars Hill. Now let's just say I'm not serving in a church for a couple years, let's say three years. And then all of a sudden I'm now pastoring a church in a different state, still non-denominational church in a different state at another big church. Now, what constitutes general repentance? Do I feel sorry about what I did? Or is it that much time has passed that people just kind of forget about my atrocities? And it's like, well, if I'm in a different state, it's I'm not really dealing with the people who I've hurt. I'm not dealing with the people who I've manipulated and damaged. You know what I mean? So I think when it comes to genuine repentance, how do you gauge that? And I think a lot of times that's always hard because I think there are some pastors who, if they're very, you know, I'm doing it like 
if they're very charismatic, if there's someone who's very good at like smoothing and smoothing the crowd and smoothing the audience and getting them to eat out of the palm of their hand very easily. Oh yes. I'm so sorry for the things I've did. I've was very hurtful from what I did to my family and what I did to the Lord and blah, 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 blah. And I'm, you know, I can, I can do the spiel, but do I genuinely mean it? Yeah. Tra- and I think that, and I think the time, how you can tell if it's a genuine apprentice is are they still doing the same sort of thing at their next church, which in the case of like, you know, a Mark Driscoll like type of personality, like there are reports of him still doing some of the same abusive tactics that he did at Mars Hill, Reddish church in Arizona. Um, You know, I think, you know, well, but, but then you look at a Carl Lentz who's, not even working as, as a lead pastor, but he's kind of working as a marketing pastor at a church. So he's kind of a, a background pastor now. Um, now, I know I've watched both the Hillsong documentaries, especially the most recent one that was on Hulu, where they actually interviewed Carl and he got to talk a little bit about stuff. And it's like, you know, is that guy genuine with his repentance? And I would say, well, you know. He's actually having honest some of the things he's still having. He's still with his family. They're still married. He still has his kids. Um, they do have a conversation about it. Like they still talk about stuff. And sometimes that the kids are having these moments where they're just angry or confused or upset with what Carl did, you know, they have that open and honest communication. So, so there is kind of that restorative and repair, constant restorative and repair that's happening within the Lentz household um, before he even got this job at the new church that he's working at. But again, he's not the lead pastor. He's just kind of doing marketing. Um, so, I, you know, it's it's one of those things, like can a Carl Lentz work at a church? It's like, well, I don't know. Based on everything that I've seen and just kind of based everything I see for documentaries, which again, with documentaries, you know, sometimes they highlight certain things, but you don't see everything. You know, a lot of times with Hollywood and film, it's usually a lot of smoke and mirrors uh, most of the time, especially within documentaries. But, you know, if everything that I'm seeing is genuine, then I I don't have an issue with him being the marketing pastor, someone who's just doing like their social media marketing and doing their TikToks and overseeing their print advertising. Like for me, okay, like that's not... He's not on stage preaching. He's not telling people they need to do this or do that. He's just basically doing promotions. And for me, I don't have an issue with that. Um, now, if he was preaching, I-, I may. Just because, you know, it's not just with his family, but what about everybody else that he had hurt? Everyone else that he had hurt? And, you know, how do you make amends to that? Especially when you're a especially when you're a pastor of like thousands and millions, how do you make amends to all the people you've hurt and damaged? And you can't, you can't, you know, you physically cannot make amends to every single human being that you may have hurt in the process. It's, Trying to be careful. No, I'm just trying to be careful with what yeah. I say, but like it, it just seems like you know, if there is genuine repentance and those people go through the reconciliation process and have went through that, like, you know, who are we to judge whether or not they went through the reconciliation process? Um, 
but I think it would ultimately be up to the church, which church, you know, whatever church, um, that that pastor, you know, has been a part of. So like, it's like, I'm thinking like, okay, somebody has a past, you know, so a pastor has an affair, a fall from grace, fall from ministry. They go through reconciliation. They leave that church, but they go to the next church and they get a job or they start a church. It's non-denominational or whatever. And they don't tell the congregation about their past. Right. Mm -hmm. That may genuinely be out of like, okay, this is in the past. It's done. I went through the process of healing and reconciliation and my family's fine. Or are they hiding it so they don't have to tell the church of their moral failure and right off the bat lose trust in their leadership. So um, I just heard, you know, as somebody who's seen and, and heard so many of these horror stories of, you know, it's splitting the church wide open. People are just devastated because they just love their pastor and love the family. And now they're not in leadership anymore. Now the church has to go through the whole process of hiring a new pastor. And it makes it even more difficult when churches struggle to hire pastors anyway, because of, just the process and in, in of itself. And then you hire an interim or get an interim to come in there and kind of clean up the mess and hold the, hold the fort down. while you know, the hiring process happens, like it's truly devastating. And so like, I understand on one side, true reconciliation and people going through the restoration process of getting back to where they could be and serving again. But on the other side, that other side of that, I could see why churches are so leery and 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 not wanting to let pastors who went through that stuff serve again. Um, yeah, but also I I think too that you know you and I hold credentials in the Church of God, and what does the Church of God say about that, right? Or does it just depend on the church? And we joke about denomination versus non-denomination, but like. Church of God Anderson isn't going to come and say, Scott, you lose your credentials because you had an affair, right? It's going to be up to the church that you're serving, right? Or the credentials board in the state in which you serve. Who's going to, well, you know, go ahead. Well, yeah. And I think that goes back to, you know, the commitment to ongoing systematic accountability. What does that look like? When, when we had Carson and Ashley on our show. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah he yeah. talked about, he talked about, you know, he talked about his affair and how he went through the whole process with the Northeast Ohio Credentialing Board of the Church of God. And, you know, he met with them three times over a span of a year, I believe, or maybe a couple of years. I have to go back to that episode and re-listen to that. But, you know, it seemed like by the third time he had that thing, there was still at least one person still saying, oh, people are in hell because of you. Like, you know, it was to the point where he kind of moved on. He felt restored. He kind of, you know, did his best to make amends and he was kind of at peace whether he got restored to the church of God or not. But it was just the governing board that was kind of being a little not Christ-like to, you know, to put it, to put it mildly um, where, you know, if this was to happen in like, I don't know, in Northwest Ohio would would it be differently if this happened in Indiana in one of the districts in Indiana? Like, you know, I think that's kind of, you know, the issue is, is committed to ongoing systematic accountability. Like, what does that look like? Because each denomination is different. If it's a non-denominational church, you know, if it's a truly non-denominational church, let's put it that way, who's 
doing the ongoing systematic accountability. Right. You know, in the case of Matt Chandler, because I guess technically Village is considered SBC? it's considered non-denominational, but it is part of the SBC. Right. Well they have but that, I, that. But I mean, but then you look at like Saddleback Church, which got disavowed from the SBC. So they're technically now truly a non-denominational uh, church. So, you know, if something like that was happening with one of their pastors, like what would their ongoing systematic accountability look like? Well, it'd have to be their elder board. It's not like they have like a a governance above them or like a governing board. You know, the SBC is not going to come in because they're no longer affiliated with them. So it's stuff like that where, you know, if somebody had some type of moral failing, is there a good system where somebody or a couple of people are keeping this person accountable? And I mean, I, I'm one who thinks that, you know, accountability doesn't have to happen after some, a moral failing. Accountability should be happening all the time yes. because pastors go through a lot of stuff. Pastors go through challenges. Pastors struggle with stuff. Um, and I think sometimes like in, in the case of the SBC, when all their pastors were like, you know, having affairs or abusing kids, the SBC would just kind of put a blanket over it and then make that pastor and move them to a different city, move them to a different state even. And it was almost like now then when they got exposed that, hey, there was really no, no repentance, no restoration, no type of system. These people who were abusing these children are still pastoring and still serving in churches. And all the SBDC said, okay, okay we're going to move you from Alabama to Tennessee. And we're just going to kind of. Let's get this person away from the situation. Let's just hope it doesn't happen again. And then it kept happening again because, again, there was no process. There's no accountability. There was, and no... then they wonder why. Yeah. And so I think that's always. So I think my big thing is, you know, what's is is repentance genuine? And the only way you're going to find out if repentance is genuine is if they actually show change. They actually have been submissive to accountability to a governing board or to overseers they're actually trying to work on doing some type of restoration within their family or even within maybe some of the people they hurt that they may have some connections with um and then after that like if they do get reinstated make sure that there's some type of accountability and it has to keep going i mean same thing with like alcoholics i mean same thing with like aa like after you say yes i'm an alcoholic you have an accountability partner and that person's your accountability partner for life. And if that person moves or if that person dies, you're still, I mean, a lot of the way that's successful is because you're accountable to each other. Right. Um, and I think even when we look at like just the world, like if you look at like any high public trust officials, like if you're an attorney, you have to take a, before you can even take the bar, you have to take a code of ethics test. And if you violate any of the code of ethics, you're you're disbarred. Same thing if you're a counselor and you end up sleeping with one of your clients and you break the the code of ethics for the American Psychiatric Association or the American Counseling Association, then you lose your license. And you're you're probably not going to get it back. And I think when it comes with um with churches and with pastors, you know. You're so involved in people's lives. You're so involved in dealing with relationships that when something happens that betrays the trust of your congregation and even with your denomination, 
you know, we do believe that, hey, there is hope, that there is forgiveness, that there is restoration through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that that's kind of part of the kingdom life. So in some ways we say, yeah, that person can be restored, but we also have to look at the reality that there has to be some type of repentance and some type of reconciliation. And if there isn't, and if it isn't genuine and it isn't, um, and there's no systematic accountability that's happening with this person, just to make sure that they're walking that straight and narrow path, then, you know, a lot of damage is going to be done. And a lot more hurt's going to happen if that's not put in check, whether it's embezzling or, I mean, if you're a pastor embezzled money, you probably, your next church, you shouldn't probably be anywhere near finances. Finances. I mean, if they give you a credit card, you should probably, you know, make sure that your spending limit is less. I mean, you know, you have to be very careful about all that stuff, you know, that's, um, yeah, but that, anyway, I think I've talked too much on this topic. <laughs> no, I mean, I went, you know, I've worked at some churches where I didn't have a credit card as a staff member and I had to go through a process of getting permission to spend money. Um, I've went through, uh, you know, churches where they handed me a credit card and I didn't have a limit. And then I was always leery to even use it, <laughs> even though I was keeping track of my budget and, you know, receipts and whatnot. But like, man, it's just, I, I've always been the, I guess, call me a paranoid if you want, but like just paranoid that something bad's going to happen. So like, I always err on the side of caution. And I think it's, uh, with, with, within my experience of, you know, seeing some of the things that I've seen over the years, um, which makes me more mindful of those things. The, the thing that really blows my mind is that like, you know, some of these pastors that you're talking like the Driscoll's and, uh, Lentz, you know, the Lentz's and, you know, uh, some of these bigger prominent pastors that have served in big, big churches. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they're in the spotlight and it's like. You know, Scott, you send me TikTok videos all the time, like funny ones about <laughs> youth, you know, youth leader chronicles or cringy yeah. pastor moments or cringy teaching moments. And it's like, yeah, that's cringy and that's funny. But like, I'll scroll through TikTok and I see Mark Driscoll preaching at his church in Arizona. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, when he's preaching and when he's saying what he's saying, I'm like, wow, I agree with that point. Right. Like, it's very biblical, it's very true. It's very authentic, but like, I think how, how do we, and this is a, this is a hard issue, like on my end, how do I look past the fact that, that Carl did all he did if he did all he did? Yeah. And how in the world is he serving? Because I feel like if I would have done something the same way or done something to the degree or the magnitude that a Carl once did or Mark Driscoll did, I wouldn't have credentials anymore. I wouldn't be serving in a church anymore. And so like, I get kind of mad, I guess, in a sense, because like, you know, we both have served in the church of gods and it's like, you know, if that would have happened in the church of God, we would be probably ran out of the, you know, ran out of the building. And so like, and that's another thing I wanted to say about this is that like, do you think that I'm not agreeing with people that have moral failures? It's not my place and it's not my place to judge. But like, do you, you know, you're talking about the, the experience of the, the couple we had on our, on the show, you know, over the summer. Um, 
do, do you agree that these credential boards are kind of like, you know, either power hungry or they just have these egos and it's like, there's like this, like, we don't even want to talk to you. You're just, you're done. Right. We're not going to walk you through reconciliation. We're not going to get you the help we need. We're not going to pray for you. We're not going to do the things that God has called us to do and love and forgive and hope that you can get through this crisis in your life. It's nope. We're the credentials board and we're going to take your credentials away. And that's it. And we leave it at that. And that's sometimes how it feels, at least in my opinion. Like there's this whole power trip that goes along with being on the board of Christian education or the credentials board in the state of Ohio or the Ohio board of leadership or whatever it is. Right. Well, and, and you bring up a good point with that comment, because imagine like, so imagine, you know, let's say I'm having an issue and I'm thinking about cheating on my wife. Okay. Well, I haven't done anything. I'm having these thoughts. There may be another person that I'm having these like warm fuzzies over. So I go, you know what? I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to go talk to my credentialing board or I'm going to talk to another church of God pastor because I'm really struggling with this. And I really need some guidance, some wisdom. I need someone to pray. So I do that. And then all of a sudden, instead of me kind of getting advice or help or, you know, someone to pray over me or even someone to keep me, or I need an accountability partner. Yeah, accountability I'm really partner, struggling. Sure. I'm now now sitting before the credentialing committee and now we're talking about if i'm still going to serve as a pastor or not and get my credentials revoked yeah and i and i would hate to say that that hap that that and i'd hate to say that that happens all the time because i don't think it does but it does happen and i think that's why a lot of times these pastors who struggle with stuff they don't want to say anything to anybody because they don't want to say hey i have a problem with drinking or i have a problem with gambling and then all of a sudden, instead of getting the help they need or, or you know, having someone talk and kind of figure out the full story of what's going on and, and trying to say, okay, you know, let's kind of nip it in the bud quickly. They just go to the extreme, like, okay, now we have to push this person before a credentials committee. Can they serve as a pastor or not? So then they keep silent. And then when this big explosion happens, when everything comes out, like, oh, pastor has a gambling problem and stole money from the church. And all these people are hurt. Well, guess what? You know what would have prevented all these people getting hurt? Is when this, if this pastor felt like they could go to their credential team, they can go to their governance board, they can go to a fellow minister and not be, had the whistle blown on them about something that went in retrospect was only the small crack to a problem that could have happened. But now every, the whole base had finally fallen apart. And now People are getting cut up by these broken shards, which we could easily just put a little glue or put a little epoxy on this little crack to keep from the base continuing to crack all the way through. And I think that's kind of an, another issue with this is, you know, if pastors don't feel comfortable talking to people, I mean, for those of us who are in those credentialing committees and, and who are in those higher up leadership, we have to ask that question, well, why is that? Yeah. Is it because they're afraid that they're going to lose something. Is it because they feel like that, you know, their whole livelihood is going to be over if they say, Hey, I, I'm, I spending too much time on the penny slots. I'm afraid I'm going to start spending my entire, my church's budget on a, on a poker table. Like, like for me, that has to be fixed too. And if we really want to see healthy pastors, you know, try to reduce the amount of, 
these failings that are happening within churches and causing all these damage to all these people and all these staff members, then I think there has to be a system where these pastors can feel safe that if they are struggling with something, they can go to somebody within their denomination, within their church and say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm struggling with. This is what I need help with and be able to do so with kindness and mercy and be able. And if it gets to the point where they're still struggling with it or it's becoming more and more an issue, then it might be, you know, maybe it might be good just to resign and just take. And then at that point, like if you're doing that within your church, then that's when you say, hey, we think it'd be best you resign so you can kind of get some stuff together. Maybe the church ministry is a little bit rough. Or maybe you're just having a difficult time. And then we're also going to make sure we give you a, a good severance package so that you don't have to worry for the next few months while you're trying to figure out what you're trying to get back on your feet from this. But we want to make sure that you're okay and everything else. And I think I think that's something that you can easily try to accomplish and do um, with pastors when they're struggling. Yeah, yeah we, absolutely. Yeah. Um, any more any more t- discussion on this topic, Micah? No, I think I, I think we've we've nailed it. I think that we just need to do a better job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to us again. Maybe you're a pastor. Maybe you are struggling. You know, I mean, do you feel like that you have support from your governance board? That if you were struggling with something, that you could easily go to someone and you would actually get the help that you need. Or maybe you feel like you don't. We'd like to hear from you. Maybe you're somebody who was a elder, maybe a member of the church, and you notice how somebody, a a church leader's actions affected you in a very negative way. And you're kind of struggling with how is this person still serving after all the damage that they have done? You know, we'd like to hear your stories too. You can email them to us through our website, vscottsimmon.com, or you can just send a message through our various Facebook, YouTube, and even our podcast page. But friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.